0: Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mix Club page or listen live at
1: SohoRadioLondon.com. Welcome to the Loud and Quiet 15th Anniversary show on Soho Radio. I'm Giles Bidder, and I'm joined by Stuart and Greg from the magazine, who have picked 15 songs to chart the past 15 years, summing up each year with a track that holds a special place for them. That was Libertine's Time for Heroes, and that was your first cover back in 2005.
2: It was, yeah. I mean, um, we, I felt like we had to start with that. Pete Doherty was on the cover of the first magazine. Hands up, I didn't speak to him. There wasn't an interview with him. It was just a right-around piece. I was a massive Libertines fan at the time. They had, this was 2005, January 2005, so they were just splitting up and Baby Shambles was was the thing for Pete Doherty, but I was still the, a Libertines guy. So I wrote, there were actually three articles in that first edition all about the Libertines, a little bit over the top. So I felt that really had to be the first song in this show. We, I couldn't ignore the Libertines. So um, yeah, that, that's why they're in there.
1: What experience did you have at that time in terms of music and publishing?
2: Uh, absolutely none, <laughs> to be honest. I, you know, I'd always liked the idea of being a music journalist or writer. I'd, I'd finished university the, in 2004 and started making the first copy of the, of the magazine in my bedroom at home, having moved back home to my mum's after university. And, um, I was thinking I'd like to be a music writer, but I didn't really know how to get into that. I sent a few emails to a few magazines that existed around the time, like enemy and people, but they obviously received so many um, emails from people, especially students who have just left university that I didn't hear back. So I just decided maybe I should try and put one together. And, um, and yeah, that's where it started. It really was just a, let's see what happens a bit of fun, really of, of writing. And I mean, it was terrible. If I, I've read it back, uh, every now and then since and it is it's a appa- it's an appallingly written um fanzine but um it's it has led us here so there was obviously something to it
1: that libertine's tune has such this kind of fierce independent um sound which i think kind of fits in with the jam econo uh, a minute Men reference about doing things economically we jam econo is loud and quiet's tagline of sorts did those sort of you know homemade beginnings set you off in a particular direction do you think I I think it was more more than the music I think it was
2: just more the necessity of we've always done it even you know to this day we've done everything on a on a skeleton crew we we try everything that we launch that we get into new um, we'll get on to talking about our podcast in, in a bit I'm sure but even when we started that a few years ago we had no experience in it we're just real triers basically so it was it's that idea of we just If we want to do something, we will just give it a go. Um, And I think because we managed to make a success out of the print magazine, it's given us the confidence to try those other things, I guess. So more than the, I mean, we do cover a lot of DIY bands, a lot of punk rock, a lot of, um, of that sort of stuff that that Minuteman Minuteman reference does, um, does apply to, but really as much as anything, it is just about our kind of ethos of, of, of giving it a go really.
1: Another thing that you say is that you're writing about new music in indie and alternative electronic and rock subcultures. Was it always going to be those kinds of music that you were going to write about?
2: Yeah, I think so. That was um, that was a case of, I mean, the, the, the original idea behind the magazine was I loved music and I loved new music, but there wasn't that many, there weren't really any um, magazines that were covering only new music. They were covering lots of you know big bands and then I'd have like the new musicians would be squeezed into a little section within it um so the the reason the reason for starting the magazine really was to feature new stuff from that that essentially doesn't get written about that much elsewhere things have kind of changed a bit over the time you know uh, the the Guardian will write about some really obscure left-field music now but that wasn't really going on then so the, the idea was always to let's try and cover some of the stuff that's not necessarily being covered by, by other people.
1: So we've got Claxon's Gravity's Rainbow next for 2006. Can you tell me a bit about why you chose that?
2: Yeah, so this is... I, I, Greg will... I will let Greg talk in a minute. Um, <laughs> I'll come in a
1: little bit later, it's
2: fine. Yeah, this is... Um, yeah, this is... <laughs> at this point, I should explain, 2005, 2006, it was very much me in my bedroom putting together this magazine so well, there were there were a team of few people writing some who still write for us now but um it was a massive vanity project so to answer the the Claxons thing really i i picked this track just because that was my band of that year i'd i would moved on from the libertines i um was now really into the whole new rave thing and how fun it was and wearing um you know, I'd wear a a hoodie that was about five times too small. Um, the whole thing of it. I just got into the whole thing. Of, I loved all the mad colours. I bought some terrible, like jeans that were bright red. Um, and Claxons were that band. And I actually listened to uh, the the Claxons debut album, if to the near future. Um, the other day about two days ago two or three days ago and this track i was like this the drums on this song i just think are so incredible for like a, you know a pop song essentially and um yeah i love it i love this song i loved it when it came out and it turns out i still love it
1: Followed by the horrors counting in fives, and you gave me the option between that horrors track or MIA XR2.
2: Okay, so I'm i cl- I'm quite glad that you've picked the horrors over MIA. MIA was really just that. I lo- I I loved that song. I loved MIA, I loved Kala, um, I loved that record. That was still, you know, part of the whole it it wasn't indie. And, and you know, the, the whole the Libertines era, era era was so indie. Um the thing about the horrors is I'm from South End. And the horrors are from South End, and they used just before they started the band, they had a club called Junk that I used to go to. South End is not a very musically minded place; um, certainly wasn't growing up. And they had this little club, so there's an affinity between loud and quiet and the horrors, I guess, because we, I was started the fanzine around the time that they had their club going, and there was a few little shops popping up in South End that I would drop it in, um, and. Strange House by the Horrors, I think, is still just a really great. uh, They obviously went on to become a completely different type of band from their second record, but that first garage rock punk record, um, I really loved. And Strange uh, and um, Counting Fives was just like a great kind of song to be jumping around their basement to um, around that time. There's never
1: really been a band quite like the Horrors, has there?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I saw them play last year. They played. Was it last? Yeah, it must have been last year now. They played at the Royal Albert Hall like an um, anniversary show of their second album, Primary Colours. And um, it, was, it was kind of mad to see that they have still... You're right, there is still no one really like them. And I think they're also the band from that time. I mean, Counting Fives was actually released back in 2005, I think. But they, no one expected the horrors to be the band that are still going. Certainly not to be playing the Royal Albert Hall. They were like considered this haircut band and posers and about as much about fashion as music.
1: Um, They sort of did both equally very well, didn't they?
2: Yeah, exactly. And I love that they kind of proved anyone wrong. There were so many bands from that time that obviously aren't going anymore. But the horrors have um, kind of stuck around and done different things. And um, yeah, still still doing it.
1: Where was Loud and Quiet in 2007 then? How much how much of your time was it taking up?
2: It was taking up all, all, of my, all of my time. The first two years, 2005 and 2006, I was, I was doing it whilst I got, I got a job at NME on the picture desk and I was still living in South End, So I would commute to London. It would take about two hours to get to NME's office. And I would do it on my train journey to work and I'd do it on the train journey home and then I'd do it when I got home as well. Um, 2007 was actually when I, when I left um when i left my job i decided i need to either give this zine thing a real go or um or i need to just pack it in and just concentrate on on a a real job um and i chose yeah i chose the the zine
1: (laughs) and coming on to your next pick the xx i feel like maybe it's just looking back on it then becoming such a huge band but did 2008 feel like a turning point for loud and quiet
2: It was yeah. So in two thousand and eight, we had what we consider a bit of a lost year. In two thousand and eight, we didn't put out many magazines because I had this great idea that we should. It had been an A five, very tiny thing, and then in two thousand and eight, I thought we should make it bigger and expensive looking, and um, it kind of just spent all the money on it, and it, it, it almost like made it. It was impossible to maintain. We managed to put out two issues. And then um, we had to rethink the whole thing. And what we did was we realized that if you print on newsprint, it's so cheap. It's so cheap to print on newsprint and you can get it turned around really quickly, obviously, which is why newspapers are printed that way. So um, at the end of the year, at the end of 2008, we, we started printing on newsprint, which is how most people would probably know loud and quiet because we did about 93 issues on newsprint we stuck with the same printer the whole time that we that we did the newsprint um but it was just a fact we just found them online and they sent us some samples and we were like yeah that that they look all right they can do it so um yeah that that was a that was a big turning year because it was a moment of we can't afford to print this this way anymore we need to either find a whole new way to print it or we need to stop or we just can't do it so it forced us into this whole different way of the whole different format of the magazine, the um, the XX. So the reason I chose the XX was because around the same time we also thought it would be a good idea to put on some club nights with some bands, with some like bands playing live. Everyone seemed to be doing it at the time. They were a thing from back then. You know, White Heat and were obviously like the kings of it. But there was there were there were a few. So we did one with our friends who run a label called Dirty Bingo now, and the first one that we did we had the XX on. It's this. I still brag about this. This is still the thing that I tell people about because they obviously went on to be absolutely huge. But they played for us to about 20 people in the basement of a cafe in West London called the Troubadour. Um, there was no one there, but it. they were. But you could tell they were amazing. Like at that point, you know, nothing had come out.
1: When was it that the XX started to get The sort of mainstream coverage they got
2: Uh, I think it came the following year because we featured them the this would have been at the end of 2008 I think I might be wrong on that but um yeah it was the following year I think was when they started to actually put the records out and become huge the year I guess they became huge what was the year of the general election was it the there was a general election and they played... Oh, they became, 2010, I think. Oh, okay. Because they became the theme music, didn't they, for the BBC's coverage? That's
0: right, yeah. The like yeah.
2: Intro, intro was just used on all of that coverage. Um, yeah. And it made them just absolutely massive. So maybe, yeah, maybe 2010 was when they actually crossed over and became massive. <laughs>
1: Crocodiles with I Wanna Kill, who you hosted a tour for.
2: Yes, that's true. Greg, did you come to this tour?
0: <laughs> yeah, I did. And I was also at that XX Club night. So my my kind of involvement with Loud and Quiet came, I'm thinking probably about end of 2006, start of 2007, because Stuart and I had met through work, through, um, you know, occasionally being at NME and like Stu would drop off um, those sort of very early copies of loud and quiet which i'd pick up and always i always thought it was amazing so i'd by this point messaged Stu and said like please can i start writing for the magazine so we'd met that way and then Stu would invite the writers to come to the club nights so i would go to like a few of the parties that, that he put on um and yeah crocodiles came around mm-hmm. and this was you taking your ambition to the next level wasn't it
2: yeah this was also a um this is also a joint venture with our friends from Dirty Bingo where we liked this band and we did their first tour of the UK. When I say it went badly, I mean, <laughs> no, no one came until we got back to London. We did Sheffield and we did, um, did we do Leeds, we did Manchester, we did Brighton. And um Sasha Shake from Dirty Bingo, he should get all he should get all the credit for the fact of that it was even remotely successful because he did all of the he did all of the legwork really. I just turned turned up. Um and it was really fun. And by the time we got to London, it was great. We had a really great, it was full and it was really exciting. And the band were lovely, but we spent a lot of time apologising to them. <laughs> we, you know, every every show we'd say but tomorrow guys I mean today it's just it's just it's a Tuesday of course it's raining of course it is we were using all of the textbook excuses for why there was no one there but we it was such a learning curve because we of course we were going to be rubbish at it because we didn't even I'd never even been to Sheffield so I didn't know like what pub where they should play or um how to promote that sort of thing and um Yeah, it was it was it was fun, but it was it is the only tour that we have done to date for a reason.
1: And that was Metronomy with Do the Right Thing from your five year anniversary, uh, a compilation of rarities.
2: Yes, yeah. Yeah, you're probably noticing a pattern here. We just like then start to just start to just try another thing. Um, we would try we, we put out a twelve inch album, a compilation album, of people that had been in the magazine over the five years. And Metronomy were we were always both Greg and I were both huge fans of Metronomy from from Nights Out, and um, they gave us this track. This that's the track they gave us for for the compilation. And we probably sold about, I don't know, a hundred of them. Again, we learned not to print too many records, not to impress too many records from that. But um, it was great. I've got a copy here. It's got lots of, um, all sorts of people on it. Health
1: were on it and telepathy and Gold Panda. Um, I wonder if around this time, five years in, the magazine felt like a success, like it was going somewhere. Did you feel like a success at the time? On your own terms,
2: yeah, definitely. I think um, I think I probably am one of those people that always wants something to be more, but at the same time, I, from where it had come from, as this A five black and white home printed fanzine, to to having artists that I really love allow us to use their songs on a on a record was quite unfathomable, really. So, I mean, it was a success and it was making enough money to support me. Like when I left my job two years in, I didn't know if I was going to just have to, I was going to have a month go at it and then have to go back to working. And I, I haven't yet. So, yeah, it was a huge, like it was, yeah, it has, it was a success.
1: Looking back on it now, 2010 and 2011 really seemed like a time where, music magazines were really starting to sort of take a different form did that affect you in any way
2: i mean i think from the beginning i never fathomed i I never thought it would be possible for us to sell the magazine and we had to and we should always keep it free in whilst the internet was around like we couldn't possibly charge for it but that is something that with our announcement that we've made today we've had to like completely change that and i think what we're seeing now and over the last few years is that actually it is a it's not the model to go for giving everything away for free you do have to charge for things and you have to it costs money to make magazines and you do need to kind of charge for it and build up an audience that love it enough to support it because advertising is is not what it used to be essentially Um, but back then i did feel that i that i you know, I was too probably too embarrassed to charge for it. If I'm honest, um, it, it did feel like a strange time for print media, where people, everyone was saying, "Oh, it's only got a year left in it," you know. Um, and and maybe it would have if people had only charged. If if people weren't, maybe it was a bad thing that people started giving everything away for free, um, because maybe that is the only thing that that kept it that kept it around, you know?
1: So this next track, I know I've already said this once, but it's a track by Alt-J and you put out their first single. That Mm. must've felt like another big step for the magazine, given how big that band were going to become.
2: That was, I don't know if Greg will remember this, but I remember (laughs) him. um, I remember playing him. Alt-J had a few songs on their SoundCloud, and they had been called films before that, and nobody really knew them that, that well. They were up in Leeds playing whilst they were at university. But Greg came to my house and I played him some of these songs. I think it was Breeze Blocks and Tessellate and maybe one other one. And uh, I told him, I said, like, I'm going uh, to release a single for this band because I think they're going to do really well and they're going to they're gonna do something. And I'm sure uh, – Greg might not remember this, and I might be remembering incorrectly. But I'm sure when I played Greg the songs, his face was not an
0: approving one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I don't, I don't ever think, uh, I don't recall listening to it and thinking this is going to go on and be a huge band. Um, and saying this, like given some of the examples of stuff we played so far, it makes it sound like all the way along we've kind of had success. But I suppose it's like we've definitely landed on our feet because. Uh, it was not like you were putting out loads of releases and some things stuck and went on to do really well. Like we've actually only really done, you know, we did only put on, it wasn't that many club nights and it wasn't like that many things we've put out. And so I think we've just been a little bit lucky really. But, um, oh, Jay, you knew that it was going to go on and be really big. I wasn't so sure. Um, I went to see them around this point. I can't remember whether it was a loud and quiet club night or something else, but it was a bit like, seeing uh, a bit like that night seeing the xx for the first time where you saw a band that were in a live setting really timid and, and quite sort of awkward and you weren't necessarily sure that you know they were going to be cut out for this thing and within 18 months to be seeing them playing on enormous stages with big light shows and everything was just so transformative it, it was barely believable really but um yeah you called it early Stu. you knew that old j were going to go and do big things
2: yeah I, yeah, I don't know why, but you're you're completely right. It wasn't like, and we've not released uh, we've not released a, anyone since then. That was going to be the start of us releasing some singles for some bands that we liked, and that went kind of so well that we were like, let's just leave it, let's just leave it, there. <laughs> um, <laughs> because we can't match that because that was the first single, and then they put out the album, and then it won the Mercury Prize, and then they became huge so it was like well we're not going to really repeat that so we'll just leave it
1: Jay Tessellate, back-to-back with Anna Meredith, Nautilus. Why did you choose that Anna Meredith track?
0: With Anna Meredith, if I, I'll take this one if that's all right. The Anna Meredith, I think I f- first heard this song um, around this time as like walk-on music for a bunch of different artists who had, had heard it and used it to start their sets. I, I quite vividly remember watching a festival set by Foles. And at that point, they walked on to this song, uh, which was just such an ear-grabbing uh arrangement and unusual sounds and i just thought what the hell is this this piece of kind of modernist classical experimental music um and it just immediately uh, completely grabbed me and I, and I really wanted to find out about Anna Meredith from that point um she this was one of her first kind of ventures into writing more contemporary material because pr- prior to that she'd been working uh, a lot more in the sort of traditional classical field um, and i think we both really really loved this song and just thought it's so inventive and i suppose it's the beginning of um us following the work of anna meredith for i suppose eight years since then um always been intrigued by finding out what she was going to do next We, we put her on the cover maybe two or three years after this when she finally put together her debut album but this was the teaser this was the sort of um the first thing that we heard from her when we when we genuinely thought wow this is a really singular interest in talent
1: we're now in 2011 and 12 greg how much are you involved in the magazine at this point um
0: so i suppose i'd known Stu for sort of hmm, i don't know about five years by this point so we'd met in like 2006 into 2007 um i was uh, a contributor so I was writing quite a bit with Stu um, and then we went through a period where we uh, we lived together because had moved from Southend to London and needed a housemate for a while so we moved in together and we were in northwest London for a while and so Loud and Quiet had upscaled it was it had gone out of the spare bedroom and moved to the kitchen table by this point so that was Loud and Quiet HQ um, and so I was writing a bit um, whilst I was doing other things um, and also we, we did start a very early podcast come internet radio show around probably was around 2010 wasn't it Stu yeah. um where we would just play music by artists that we liked uh and kind of talk in between and then we'd upload that and put it onto like the loud and quiet myspace page or whatever it was at that point um and they would just have really fond memories of that period because we already played some metronomy metronomy all instantly takes me back to that period the other album that I just remember us playing incessantly was um incessantly was in evening air by future islands who we both really really loved The the baltimore band uh one of their early releases and we just played that album over and over um so yeah like 2010 2011 really good times putting the magazine together stew having the club nights and yeah we had a little bit of success with things like alt J. so definitely like fond memories of that period
1: You talk about MySpace and that's involvement in in everything that you were doing. And now, of course, your website is the perfect accompaniment of the magazine or to the magazine, rather. How computer literate were you at this point? How computer fluent and how much how important was it for you at the time?
2: Yeah, we had a web. Yeah, we did have a website. We've had probably we probably maybe had three or four different versions of the site um, before the one that we've got now. It was very, very basic. Um, I did like MySpace. I got quite, I was reluctant to get into it, but then I got quite into that, you know, the whole um, customizing your wallpaper and your top eight friends and (laughs) all of that. I loved that. And then just as I got into it, everyone just migrated and left for for Facebook. So um, that was a bit of a shame. But the, the site wasn't really, there wasn't enough time to be, doing a doing loads on the site and doing loads on the um on the magazine kind of took up all my time to make the thing and and print it and get it done and get it out so the site was kind of just like an archive tool that I would put a few bits and pieces on social media obviously hadn't hugely taken off Facebook was was the thing I guess Twitter probably wasn't a, when was Twitter maybe 2009 was Twitter um but it wasn't like it is now I guess so it was more our, our online activity was greg and i recording a podcast where we just played all the songs in full which we didn't even which i'm 100 percent sure is not allowed um but we thought we made i think didn't i think we might have made it that you couldn't download it you could you had you could only stream it and we thought that would be okay mm. um but we loved putting that together and um It was just another thing that we thought, let's try it, give give
1: that a go. One thing that I've always been intrigued about in terms of publications, independent publications, is the advertising side of it. How were you at the time in in terms of that business side of it? How business savvy do you think you were? And how naturally did that come to you? Um,
2: I think if I could go and start it all again... There was. There's a lot of things I would I would do differently. I think I wasn't very business savvy to answer the question simply. Um, I'm probably still not very business savvy. It's. Um, it's just not in. You know, it's not something I enjoy. Some people love that side of things, like the raising the money side of things. I didn't really know what I was doing, and when I first started it, I didn't really intend to make it. I, I didn't really know how it was going to make money. I just started putting it out, and I wasn't really thinking about how am I going to recoup any of this money I'm spending on photocopying and, and, and whatnot um, until some labels got in touch and said, can we advertise in your, in your fanzine or your magazine? And then I was in a position where I had to just make up a number to like, I didn't know how much to charge for an advert. I had no idea. And I, I always tell people if they're, if they're going to do this, like research, how much you should be selling your adverts for, because, um, that people will always remember the first number you give them and if you give one that's too low then that's what they're gonna keep in their head forever um my big advice to anyone now would be almost the complete opposite of that which would be don't bank on advertising is not a, a business model that you can really work with now like try and sell the thing put a value on the thing that you make and try and sell it so young magazines a magazine that's out there at the moment who um I think it's really great and they they've never been they've never had a free model they you you pay for it you know and um i think it's the way to go i think they've built a really great readership out of that wire magazine is another great example of that you can still do it people still want to buy um, independent music magazines uh, magazines generally as long as they've been put together kind of thought out and they don't have a hidden agenda there is a value in it and people are willing to pay for it. So try not to to bank on advertising because you're only gonna just be reliant on on everyone else. You know, it's it's something you've got zero control over, which is why, you know, we're now recording this from lockdown during COVID-19 pandemic. And we really don't know if any advertisers are gonna be around at the end of this and and where that leaves us as a a company on a company um, sense of the word. Whereas if we had built up that readership that we're paying for the thing that we have earlier, we, we wouldn't be in such a tight situation right now.
1: You talk about these relationships that you've built with record labels over the years. And of course, working with record labels mm. and PRs is going to be your bread and butter of everything you do day to day. Did these relationships and these friendships that were being formed uh, with, with record labels, do you think that helped nurture your journey and give you some grounding in how you were developing as a magazine yeah i th- i think a huge
2: a huge reason that loud and quiet is still around and has had the the success it's had is because we always had really great um support from all of the pr and all you know all of the prs are the people that we speak to on a daily basis as you know music journalists and they supported it from day one, even when it looked terrible and it had all the spelling mistakes, they still saw some value in letting us speak to their bands and sending us their records. So those people have always been really supportive of the of the whole thing. And then the, the advertising people at labels are kind of a different, well, a little bit of a different world. You, you Personally, I'm not, I, I'm not. In contact with them as much, and I don't know them as much as as the PRs. The PRs are the ones that really support us, but they feed into each other because if the label's PR team are saying we really should do this interview of loud and quiet, then the that does reach the kind of advertising department and the marketing department who think, oh well, maybe we should be supporting it with some advertising as well. Um, but the the thing is about the music industry is that, especially the independent side of the music industry, is that it is full of some very nice people like most people are really lovely and um you're kind there is a sense of community within the independent music industry and everyone supporting each other and helping each other so yeah you you do become friends with people quite quickly um yeah
1: track of those two was solange losing you which you've written to me in your notes next to each track that you've given me you you've you've, gi- you've given me a little squiggle of a uh, of what it meant at the time and next to this solange track you've said big name cover shot primavera could you tell me about that
2: <laughs> yeah sorry when i wrote that down i didn't realize I, I was i was meant to take off these brackets when
1: i, <laughs> I said <laughs> that to you.
2: you've seen the inner workings of, of of why we've chosen some of these songs um yeah, Solange was a, I mean, Solange is obviously a huge megastar and she was kind of, she was, I think she'd released an album and an EP around the time that that, that we shot this cover. We, sh- we work with Primavera Sound, the, the festival in Barcelona, every year and um, this might have been the first year that we worked with them, perhaps. Mm, um, I think so. But we went out there and we did she was our cover for the for the following issue so we shot it there um and we just picked this i think the reason i put this one down was because one i just think losing you is still a killer song and dare i say i still think it's solange's best song and um it was just a kind of Glimpse into a completely different world because even though she was at Primavera, which is, you know, a very kind of indie alternative festival with all sorts of noise bands and all sorts of stuff on, there's this kind of entourage around Solange. We had to shoot her within about, you know, 25 seconds and interview her within another 25 seconds. But there was just this kind of storm around her. And um, I think when you're when you're running a you know when you're a music journalist who's into kind of alternative music to use that term you're kind of meant to be in like greasy pubs watching um loud obnoxious music a lot of the time so it's nice every now and then to step into a really glossy world where there's stylists and hair people and all of that sort of thing it's quite fun to like dip into that
1: did you feel like you fit into that world when you were in it that pop world no, I um,
2: I I <laughs> I feel really awkward in those situations, but I wish I didn't. I'd love to be. At, I would love to feel at home in in those places. Um, I don't know how Greg. Greg probably feels a bit more at home in it. He's a bit more pro there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm just so much more stylish, mate. Naturally <laughs> in that world. Um, no, I know what you mean. It's it's. I think we. One of the things about Loud and Quiet is that we possibly always keep people guessing with the type of artists that we feature. Um, as Stu mentioned, in the early days, maybe you could have called it, you know, the type of we, we wrote a lot about one certain type of music. You know, the, the British indie rock scene at that point was was really flourishing. And then we moved into sort of maybe more experimental circles and. Um, and I mean, these days, I would say that we we cover just such a massive range of music. Uh, essentially, our music policy is we just feature stuff that we find exciting. Um, but occasionally, maybe even only perhaps once a year or when an offer comes in that really interests us, we will feature one of those artists that comes from that sort of bigger world, that bigger, uh, slicker part of the music industry. Solange kind of fits into that. Um, and it does always feel just a little bit like we're, a touch of a sort of fish out of water when we're doing those things because in our own minds we're still attached to you know even just a little bit that idea of just being a kind of you know a lo-fi zine so when we're there interviewing Solange Knowles at uh, an incredible music festival out in Barcelona it feels uh, different and exciting um so yeah it's funny to occasionally put our dip our toe into that world um even if we're not doing it all of the time
1: And that second track of the two was Karen O rapped. Karen O, of course, from the Yeah, Yeah, Yes. And, you know, they're a band that have kind of had that time where they were sort of straddling the independent world, but also that Solange bigger sort of main stage world.
2: Yeah, they were. And, I mean, Karen O is such an incredible star. You know, she's so stylish and cool Um, and she looks amazing, but she's also this kind of, crazy Tasmanian devil-like energy when she was in the AES, especially in the in the beginning when she would kind of be leaping around the stage and jumping all over the place. Um, Rap, the track that we chose here, was from her solo album called Crush Songs that she'd released around then, which is almost a complete opposite of that and a complete opposite of a kind of glossy pop world because it was a, a record of home demos, essentially, that she'd put together over a fair few years. Um, very skeletal beautiful songs that she could have probably spent a bit more time with and made into a big production album but she she just really didn't want to and um, getting her we we put her on the cover in 2014 around that record and that was quite a bit of a coup really because I think a lot of people wanted to speak to Karen (laughs) O and um, we felt really good that she that she kind of came and came and did us and she was um, lovely and very quite quiet and shy and and maybe not what you expect from her personality that you you see up there on stage.
1: U.S. Girls Down That Valley and The Invisible London Girl for 2015 and 2016 of Loud and Quiet's 15-year history. The Invisible were the first guests on Midnight Chats, the podcast that you do.
0: Yeah. Um, so 2015, the, just to, to wind back on U.S. Girls briefly, that would have marked 10 years at Loud and Quiet. And so to do that, uh, that's the point where I kind of officially joined up with Stu and started running... Uh, the digital side of things, so we started a new website and came with all these new ideas of how to do things alongside the magazine, um, and, so, and we also did an exhibition uh, that year of our favourite covers of the first ten years of Loud and Quiet and Carano a little bit earlier. That always makes me think of that because that Carano cover that we did is, I think, probably. One of my favorite loud and quiet covers of all time. I think it's the one that a lot of people uh, think of because it it does genuinely feel like really iconic. Um, So, yeah, this period is is, is really interesting for us trying out new things. Uh, At the start of 2016, we decided that uh, we wanted to make a podcast. Uh, We didn't know how to make a podcast. We didn't really know uh, what goes into making a podcast or how to tell people about the fact that we've got a podcast. Um, But we just went out and, and did it um it's called midnight chats and it's still going now we are 93 episodes in and four years later um but going back to that very first moment we bought a microphone i think maybe off ebay set it up in our uh, little office in east london the idea was um that it would they would be long form conversations with artists that weren't really appearing on podcasts uh, at that point um at this point there wasn't that many podcasts particularly music podcasts you could there was really just a handful of them so it felt like something that we wanted to do to to try out and see if if people would um, be interested in it and the first artist that we got in touch with to I suppose record a pilot in essence but would go on to become the first episode was Dave Akumu from The Invisible Uh, and London Girl is one of my favourite songs by the invisible i'd met dave a few years previously and always loved that band uh i think their albums have always been quite underrated despite the fact that i know the first one got nominated for the mercury prize but just from that point onwards i just think that dave's an incredible talent as well as such a fascinating character um and so he was the first person that we got onto the podcast we invited him in he turned up to the office late on a i think it was like a Monday night was really miserable it was early january and fortunately trusted us enough to basically say yeah okay we'll come on this I'll come on this podcast and do this thing that you know nobody's ever done before and uh, that formed the first episode and we've been really fortunate that ever since then you know the audience has grown to the point now where we're getting guests onto the podcast that we genuinely never imagined that we'd be able to speak to
1: you've had tame impala larue James uh, james acaster kim gordon it's a good mix yeah yeah
0: that's yes yeah. so last week we just finished the most recent series of the podcast uh, that's series nine and those are some of the some of the names you just mentioned there yeah were some of the people that we've had on but just fantastic kind of archive now of people that We've had on that have been fantastic conversations. Um, just off the top of my head, some of the favourite ones: uh, Johnny Marr, uh, Mac DeMarco, Mike Skinner, Shirley Manson was fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 been amazing. Like, absolutely delighted with how Midnight Chats has has sort of turned into something that we never imagined. Um, and one of the things that we really enjoy doing, um, Stuart and I take it in turns to host the podcast, so we uh we've got to speak to some fantastic artists and just and it's an opportunity to have this, a, a big
1: sort of open conversation with people that we might not get to otherwise it must be an interesting source of new readers because people are going to find out about the magazine through those big names that you're having on midnight chats
0: definitely yeah we have certainly found that
1: in terms of like the
0: international extension of of what we do so loud and quiet had grown uh, to be distributed all over the UK uh, fairly early on, um, and you know when we relaunched the website and started doing some stuff more digitally, we you know we were growing audiences in in places that we hadn't had them previously. But maybe the podcast has done that more than than anything else. Uh, we've got big listenership in America and Australia and and parts of Northern Europe, and so it's been amazing to hear people discover what Loud and Quiet is via the guests that we've ended up having on the podcast. So it's been a really useful extension of that, definitely.
1: And on that geographical mobilization and distribution of the mag, it's available in New York now, isn't it? When did that come about? And how did you sort of implement it in a in a different country?
2: Yeah, that would have been... Oh, that's a good question. Um, about date that time, to... yeah. Yeah, it would have been around that time, I think, yeah. Um, that came about... Because actually, it might have been a little bit before 2016. Um, it's there or thereabouts. It came about. How did that come about? I think we just thought that. Well, obviously, when you go, if you go over to New York and you kind of see the way things are set up over there, especially in like the Brooklyn area, there it it has a similar kind of feel to London in the sense of of places that people hang out the kind of music scene there's there are a lot of outlets where you think well oh, you know this place could do with like we could probably put our magazine here and they all love kind of um British music a lot of a lot of kind of New York people do so we um yeah we just started t- like sending them out there in, 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 a, in a quite a, a lo-fi way of um still printed here but shipped out out there and and dropped off in the venues that that we were dropping them off
1: here similar type of thing basically that i mean that goes back to we jam McConnell, right exactly yeah <laughs> and
2: we found someone we found someone who lived locally who knew like all of the 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 places we put a call out to different labels that we know that had you know some we already knew some new york labels and some new york bands and th- people that we'd met and we were like where are the places that would like a magazine and the thing that a lot of people kind of came back was like oh this is great this is great timing because we don't actually Mm. have they don't have a print press uh, they don't have a like print media in the same way that we do in the UK we're actually quite lucky now we've got a lot of um independent magazines floating around some free some paid for but essentially we've got a lot more than they have in in New York they kind of all vanished there so they were actually um we didn't know that when we first started the idea of it but but it turned out that, that 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 there was a market there for it
1: I seem to remember loud and quiet landing on the bar of the pub that I was working at at the time um, called the Miller in London bridge. And I remember this issue with Proto Marta on the front cover and their Windsor hum tune is your pick for 2017.
2: Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah. We both, we, well, we both absolutely love this band and particularly this song, which is on their last record, um, Relatives in Descent. And I chose that this because people will say to, to me quite a lot like oh what is the best um, interview you've done? People tend to ask I guess everyone that anyone that interviews people they say who's the most annoying person you've met and who's the um, what's the best one you've done? And I went and spent a weekend with Proto marta in Detroit and they um, showed me around that city which is an incredible place that I'd always been interested in but had never been to. Um, and it was just a, it was a, it's at moments like that, you know, to get emotional um, <laughs> that you think, wow, this is crazy. This is crazy that this little fanzine that started off as this little thing has now got me to Detroit to hang out with a band that I love, who couldn't have been nicer. They we we spent. They really showed me the sights. We I loved the record so much. I'm still i still listen to it loads now and um uh, that that was like wow like that this is it is ridiculous that this has happened and um it's also one of those very rare things where and i'm probably going to regret saying this because people will now maybe go and read it and tell me that um my standards are way off but i normally hate everything i've written absolutely everything but that is one article that i've written that i at the top I was like I think this is good I think I've done a good job of this thing um, please don't start emailing me and saying it is terrible
0: now <laughs>
1: so many you know new bands that like you've said might have only ha- released one or two tracks before you ask them if you can do something i wonder if these bands and the circles they come from and perhaps maybe the subcultures that they come from or, or the areas and and the people they're friends with they learn about loud and quiet through those bands whilst readers of loud and quiet are going to be introduced to proto Marta. it seems like quite a cyclical process
2: yeah i think that does that does happen there's that 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 issue of the magazine with proto master on the cover they were shot outside this bar called jumbos which is kind of their hq um where they played a lot of shows they've got a song on their first record called jumbos and the owner of that bar has has framed a copy of that magazine and put it in the bar um so all of those I, I love the fact that there is a framed copy of loud and quiet in jumbos in detroit in this <laughs> kind of dive bar and there are people there are people in there who of course have never heard of loud and quiet and why would they have but they now are like oh yeah because those guys are always in that bar and they're like oh yeah I see you see your uh, magazine up there what is that thing and they will be told about it so um yeah it is there is that nice kind of discovery point of it and there are you know there are still so many people that we don't presume that anyone knows loud and quiet you know um some people do but there are lots of people that still don't and that's kind of i guess something that we always kind of keeps us going i guess to tell more people about it to get more people excited by it there are so many music fans out there who love independent music um who have probably never heard of us but that that's why it's worth us still kind of Doing it and still telling people about it.
1: The style of the magazine. There aren't that many music magazines or publications that I'm aware of here that have a kind of lengthier element to to the writing. The same way that Loud and Quiet does. Was that a decision that you two have, have made over the years? Obviously, you've been hanging out and, and and being close. You know, over all these years of the magazine. So you you know you would have talked about it but was there really a point where you said to yourselves yeah you know this is how we want to write about the music that we're covering
2: i mean i think i like i've always i was very delusional at the beginning i thought the first one had all of these things i thought oh yeah this is a really in-depth piece i've written about baby shambles and the libertines it was probably about 200 words but in my mind it was it was uh, the goal to have long reads was kind of always there um because it kind of came back to that idea of we wanted to feature new bands from the beginning to the end of the magazine and to give them kind of all of the exposure that we could give them the bands that we really love and within that a natural extension of that is well the articles should all be as long as possible they should they should be able to actually get into like who these people are and what their music is and um that's something that we've always, that we still to this day, when we try to, we don't really brief our writers. I mean, we've got such a great team of writers now that kind of get it, and they they're so familiar with loud and Quite now them, themselves that they they know what kind of thing we are and what we're after. But even when we get new writers involved, we the the kind of one big brief, I guess, is for us to say, just write this thing as if it's you're writing the definitive article on this person even if this person hasn't been interviewed yet or if this person's you know David Byrne then like still try and write it as like cover all the bases go as you know get it all covered so that essentially when someone's finished reading that they think I don't need to read another article about this person because I've got so much out of this that's kind of the approach that we that we try to go for.
1: Which is interesting because when you write like that I think naturally you're going to have this authoritative tone that you get in fanzines.
2: Yeah exactly I mean we are still very much it feels like we are still a fanzine in many ways we are still very you know DIY we still put on everything that we everything we do we just we do it so yeah we are still that way we've got a great design team that Design it and make it because I, I was designing it at the very beginning, and that was another reason why it looked so terrible. But Lee um, Belcher, who designs, has designed the magazine since number seventeen, I think, and we're on one hundred and forty-two now. Um, he's an incredible designer, an actual real designer. So he makes it look beautiful, and probably more. Um, he makes us look richer than we are, basically. <laughs> He makes it look like we're this kind of glossy. Oh, there's loads of money in this, um, and behind the screen, you know, there's behind the doors. It's it's just um, being held together with sticky tape and um, and glue and and things like that. So there is still that that fanzine heart at the at the middle of it. Definitely.
1: This is David Byrne with everybody's coming to my house. new road with sunglasses your 2019 entry that is a different kind of sound isn't it
2: <laughs> it is from a very different kind of band um like we just love this band don't we greg i think
1: yeah yeah
0: black country new road they were on the cover last year we'd wanted to do something for with them for quite a while and um this has happened a few times actually when we got in touch we, sometimes if we really like a band um we'll get in touch really early on and and basically say like, you know, we'd love to feature you. What do you, what do you think? And, um, sometimes, you know, they're, they're kind of reluctant because maybe they haven't done any interviews yet or they're, you know, or they've maybe only released like one piece of music, two pieces of music. Black Country New Road had come back to us and said, um, yeah, like when the time's right, we'll do it. And and unfortunately, a few a few months later, uh, just before Christmas, uh, they, they got back in touch and they, they they wanted to to do the big feature. And so they, they did a handful of interviews around that time. Unfortunately, one of them was our cover feature. And yeah, what a fantastic band. So exciting. They played a show uh, for us just before Christmas, along with um, End of the Road Festival, who we do a little bit of work with. And live, it's just incredible this song live is incredible uh i remember standing kind of near the front of the gig and looking back at the faces of the people watching the band like midway through sunglasses and everybody was just sort of hypnotized and you just thought yeah like these guys are really special um so definitely big fans of theirs
1: and can you tell me a bit about that david Byrne track that we played before that he was on the cover of your relaunch issue in 2018 wasn't he
2: Yes, yeah. No, you're you're completely right. That so yeah, I mean it's insane that we've got we ha, we've got David Byrne on the cover of our magazine. Um I still can't quite believe it now. But this was it was an important time because we um had been doing the print magazine from 2000 and what was it? 2000 end of 2008 to the end of 2017 in in newsprint as a newspaper and we kind of just felt like we needed to switch it up a bit we needed to, to kind of keep it interesting for ourselves but we were also um realized that we need to try and move away from this this throwaway format where people kind of pick it up and maybe chuck it in them and we wanted people we put so much work into the into the thing we wanted people to keep them and keep them on their shelves at home and refer back to them which that just not going to do that much with when it's a newspaper that kind of goes yellow in the sun and all of that sort of thing so we we relaunched the magazine in the the state that it is now, which is really quite um deluxe we've got lots of we've got three different paper stocks and we we're all quite nerdy about all of that sort of thing um It looks really beautiful again that a lot of that's um down to lee belcher and um we wanted to launch it with a really big name we were like oh we should try and guess who do we want and we wanted David Byrne and we 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 thought they would just say well no he's not going to do that but he did and um and and that song as well everybody's coming to my house is just incredible I mean these last two songs Sunglasses is just amazing that is the I think the most exciting band around right now Um, but that David Byrne track is I think as good as any of his songs ever and um, uh, Greg and I went to see his show, his untethered live show, um, as well later that year. Again, just like you know, amazing, an amazing artist. So to get him in our in our magazine was just a, a dream come true, really.
1: Now we've reached the 15th year of Loud and Quiet. It's gonna be Kelly Lee Owens Melt, who's the current cover star. As of today, it's Tuesday, the 28th of April, 2020. We're in lockdown. We don't know how much we don't know how long we're gonna be in lockdown for. All we know is, is that Loud and Quiet have announced their new subscription this morning, which is a major turning point for the MAG. Could you tell us? Can you sum up how you're feeling right now? Can you sum up what's Going through you, Greg. Do you want to do that or do you want me? Yeah,
0: no, I can do that. Um, okay, well, um, so this year has definitely been challenging. Um, I mean, we're we're certainly not alone in terms of the fact that independent culture is taking a battering during the, the coronavirus crisis. Um, uh, certainly not you know we're, we're not we're not touched in, in in tragic ways like so many other people are but um, like different industries we're, we're all kind of struggling we're out there trying to trying to make things work and um, Kelly Leones is our most recent cover star um, released back in March and like, as of this moment obviously like you said we've just just released a new um, uh, subscription opportunity for people so if they like what they've been listening to uh like hearing the story of loud and quiet and you want to get involved or find out more about us go and visit loudandquiet.com to see all the information about that that's we're looking for people we want people to become subscribers and you'll get sent all of the new magazines that we make, as well as some special stuff that we've made to mark 15 years of Loud and Quiet. So we've got a brand new zine. Stu's gone back to the very early days of Loud and Quiet and designed it and made it all himself as if he was back in that spare bedroom in Southend. Uh, and there's some other stuff as well that goes into that subscriber bundle. And so right now, what we're trying to do is get as many people to directly support and get involved with the world of Loud and Quiet as possible. Um, because, yeah, frankly, the the, the COVID-19 situation has made things quite unstable, certainly financially. We don't know when the sort of precarious uh, advertising model that we've relied on uh, quite heavily to this point, uh, we don't know what that's going to look like in the future, probably not how it did used to look um, pre the crisis. And so uh, really, yeah, it's a big moment for us. We need people to sign up to get involved with Loud and Quiet um, for us to survive and for us to keep making the magazine and being able to tell the stories that we've been talking about here on the radio show.
1: Stuart and Greg, thank you so much for joining me to talk about the last decade and a half of Loud and Quiet, which really is absurd, isn't it?
2: (laughs) (laughs) It is. Thanks very much. I really appreciate um, coming on. It's been really fun.
1: Take care.